My name is Linnea Ingalls, and I'm one of the producers for Equity Rising, the podcast from King County Equity Now. In this episode, our host Trey is in conversation with Idris Goodwin, the director of the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center at Colorado College. Idris is a multidisciplinary arts leader and creative community builder. He is an award-winning scriptwriter for stage and screen, a breakbeat poet, a director, an educator, and an organizer. He recently released the poetry collection called Can I Kick It, published from Haymarket Books, which includes the poem Say My Name, referenced in the interview. You can check that poem out on Idris's website, idrisgoodwin.com. In this episode, Idris and Trey talk about art and activism, the immense power of storytelling and equity and education, and Obama's recent criticism of the phrase, defund the police. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening to Equity Rising. Thank you so much, Idris, for being on with us on Equity Rising. I am so excited to have you on today. You guys are listening to Equity Rising with me, Trey Holiday. And today, Idris Goodwin is with us. I, I just got to do this because this is really where I like to start. First things first, how are you taking care of yourself, my friend? Uh, poorly. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in lockdown with my beautiful children who give me a lot of joy and they pull me out of, you know, the remote work headspace. So hanging out with my kids is, is, is really saving me. And honestly, I live in a beautiful state. I live in the state of Colorado, which is the unceded territory of the Ute and the Cheyenne. And there's a lot of deer running around my neighborhood trying to get they swole on for the long winter. And, you know, in the mornings when I go out for my walks, I see like a whole squad of them and they'll just start walking with me, you know. So uh, that that's that's really been giving me a lot of um there we go. You know what I'm saying? And I appreciate your transparency because not too many people say, you know what? I ain't. How about that? I ain't taking great care of myself. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Now we can get into all the fun yeah, right. formalities, but nice. let, let's let the audience know a little bit about who you are and what sure. you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm a hyphenate. I am a, a writer, so you know, a breakbeat poet and a playwright. But I, I'm also an educator. I've been a, a teacher, a teaching artist, a college professor, the whole nine for roughly going on 20 years, more or less now. And currently, I serve as the director of the Colorado Springs uh, Fine Arts Center at Colorado College, which is a multidisciplinary uh, arts center on a college campus here in the Springs. And so, I'm also uh, what I like to call a creative community builder. And uh, I'm, there's this term artivism that that I'm just now getting caught up to. And I, I definitely like to say I'm an artivist uh, as well, um, meaning that I, I, I definitely am very interested in, in social change and social justice. And I uh, much like the hip hop tradition I'm reared in, I, I believe that, you know, the artists uh, have a responsibility to their communities to represent for them, tell their stories and also to help them celebrate and remember why they're alive. So those are those are all the things I get into. I love that artivism. All right. You got a fellow artivist right here (laughs) with you. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, that really leads me into the next question, because I was able to see a little bit of your artivism actually in a video. So I got to ask you about this. You produce a video. Just say my name or say my name. Right. And and I really want to get into, you know, the inspiration for such a video. Where did that come from? You know, what made you want to produce that video? Say say my name. 
So, okay, I'll try to keep a, a long story medium length. So, you know, I made my bones uh, initially as a, as a rapper, as an MC, and I came up in Chicago in the late 90s, early aughts, when slam and spoken word poetry and a lot of hip-hop kids were starting to enter that space. So I started hearing, like, people like Saul Williams and Jessica Caramore, these people with that intensity and swag of a rapper, but, you know, they, they weren't rapping over beats or using turntables like a, a lot of the my sort of other more hip-hop oriented community. So I started working, dabbling in spoken word because a lot of the spoken word artists I knew were also doing a lot of teaching and a lot of work in communities. And I was very passionate about that too. So, you know, I, I had a background in that and randomly, you know, I was in my 30s and a really brilliant Black dramaturg, her name is Sydney Mahone, shout out Sydney Mahone, basically gave me a prompt. She was like, write about your name. And I was like, write about my name. That's just such a simplistic prompt. I write about matters of the soul and, you know, and, uh, and all this stuff just poured out of me, you know, when I started writing about my name and, you know, that's been a thing throughout my whole, whole life. So in writing about my name, I really started writing about my whole life. In the suburbs, the name was a minority. My middle American classmates asked, now is it Idris, is it Iris, is it Ivan, is it Isidore, is it Ivan, is it Iggy? How about I just call you I? Can I just call you E? Can I just call you something other than your name? Age 11, I asked my mom if I can change my name to something else. Mark, Tony, Sean, something else. Being named Idris in North America will arrest people. You must grow patience. That's so unusual. What an exotic name. It sounds Turkish. It sounds Greek. Are you Muslim? And when I started doing the piece, people just, audiences and listeners just responded to it so well, you know, and they would be like, oh, that name piece, that name piece. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, no, 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 that name piece. I'm like, I got all this other new stuff. And like, finally, I just, I learned to accept and embrace it much like my name. And so I had a book come out in 2019 and I was going back and forth. I was like, do I put say my name in there? Because it was a piece that kind of already existed for a few years. And I was like, you know, people really like that piece. So I'm going to go ahead and put that that piece in the book. And so as a way to kind of also promote the book, I, I actually hired camera crew out of LA, some former students of mine who are now kind of making it happen in LA. I flew them to Louisville where I was living at the time. And I, and, and I was like, I want to shoot this video. I want to, you know, create a, a document and art, you know, for, for all of time. And the video has been just as well received as the poem has. And so I'm really proud of it. And, uh, and it just continues to teach me things, you know, just yeah. about what people need versus what you need and what you think, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and so it, it gives me a lot of satisfaction to see it received so well. So, yeah, that's Absolutely. That. Well, great, great work on that. And, and I'll say too, I mean, looking at the production quality, it was well produced. So good luck to, you know, your former students. I mean, honestly, kudos to them. They definitely had you looking on point. I particularly love the fact that you started with something that is so common to many yeah. Americans, many people. When you're going yeah. to a coffee shop and they have your name on the side of a cup. I deal with this personally. My name is Trayana, right? right? My full name. And it's spelled in a way where I have a capital letter of Anna. The A in the middle of my name is capitalized, but there's no space. It's not two separate names. So I'm always explaining all of that nuance to the point where I started to simplify it myself to make it easier on myself. So I really appreciated your perspective there, just in terms of going through your different layers of your name. And, and I 
And I think, too, it may speak a little bit to, you know, obviously your personal backstory, right? When you're talking about something like artivism, it's clear that there's a specific mechanism for how you're going to shape what you're projecting out there, right? And what you're putting out there. And you've chosen to do that through the arts. You know, what really drove you in that regard? Clearly, you know, being a hip hop artist back in the day and, you know, I'm sure just being infused by that. But let's let the audience understand, you know, what really had you say, you know, this is the way that I'm going to do this work. Well, you know, it's weird, right? Like, I've been reflecting on this more recently because I'm I'm getting a little deeper into my 40s now. And so I'm definitely like reflecting back a lot and and really just through reflection, learning more about myself and just being like, wow, you really, you know, it's kind of crazy. I've I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do my whole life. Like, seriously, like even when I was a real little kid, I just knew like creativity, imagination, storytelling, like that's it. And I've had a million billion jobs and, you know, whatever, whatever. But I'm just, I just never really thought about doing anything else. I mean, I have moments where I'm like, I'm going to go be a history teacher in elementary school in the hood. And they're going to make a really whack movie about me with somebody white, you know, but no, straight up. I mean, I've taken turns, right? Like, you know, I thought it was going to be filmmaking and then I got pulled in this direction of theater, but I'm now doing more things for the screen, you know, so that's never really gone away. And I actually just had a conversation with a, a brother I know who's a, doing a Kickstarter whole campaign and he's he's writing this movie and he's going to direct it. And he's like, man, help me with my script. Look at my script. And, you know, and so, you know, I'm still doing that work, too. So but but yeah, generally speaking, I'm just like this is this has always been it for me, you know, unabashed. And I, and I, I recognize I'm rare, like most a lot of people don't have that story to tell. They, you know, like oh, I went to business school and then I suddenly started playing guitar or like vice versa, you know, Uh, for me, it was always this. Yeah. You know, you're really speaking to somebody who is like, I've always known it. And even when I think that in my own lived experience, especially when you're young and you, you know, you go to, I went to Howard for their theater program. Oh, okay. So like for, for me, you know, I was a thespian through and through like down yeah. hard, you know, like a leader yeah. of my troop. And I was, you know, so for me, it was always a thing. And then I got, I, I had this kind of like shock moment at Howard where I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, you know, here I am. I had missed the audition. So I'll tell you a bit about this. I had missed mm-hmm. the auditions. So I end up in a one-on-one acting one-on-one class. And I'm a truth that at this point, I'm like at the 300 level. I'm like, oh no, I am advanced. Like I've been doing it. I've learned. I've theater managed behind the scenes in front, in the camera, behind the camera. Like I've tried to get all of the experience from like nine years old up until that point. Right. And so I'm like, you know, I'm young 18. So I'm like, I got nine years in, you know, I'm like, come on. I'm, and I've been learning. I've been doing this. But really, I think my experience there made me shocked me and go, oh, wait, like, is that a career? Do I want auditions for the rest of my life? Am I, you know, and is there something else I can be doing while I'm at Howard that would be more solidified? And just having that, you know, kind of moment of like, oh, man, am I going to be OK there? And it's funny because my second semester, I did clinical laboratory science so I could become a physician's assistant. And my theater mentor literally said to me, oh, that's funny. You'll always do theater. Like you're one of those people. You will always find a way to use the arts to infuse, you know, what you do. And so it takes me into like now understanding the intersectionality of theater, of equity, of civic mm-hmm. engagement. Exactly. Again, I love this term that you just taught me today, archivism, but really you taking that into a specific realm, I, I think 
connecting to this movement that we're seeing so globally blown up after George Floyd. But I really want to ask you about that because this movement right now and this this time is so specific and so different than other times. You know, how do you see that intersectionality in what you do really playing a role in this larger movement right now? Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I, on June 19th, uh, Juneteenth of this last year, I dropped a project called The Free Plays, uh, open source scripts for an anti-racist tomorrow. And it's a collection of five uh, short plays that are aimed at multi-generational audiences, right? So, you know, there's a six-year-old character and an adult character, and it's, you know, it's a lot of that. And so it's like, it's recommended for kids as young as like five or six on up to you know, really adults, you know, and they were written intentionally because I knew a lot of families were home right now. So we had the dual pandemics, which means that everyone's home, kids are out of school. And then you've got this other pandemic of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, this now second real, you know, more really like 10,000th, but really second wave of, of specifically under this Black Lives Matter narrative or lens or umbrella, this sort of second wave uh, happening. And so you've got kids who are like five, six, seven, eight years old asking, what what is Black Lives Matter and why is why are there protests and what's going on? And so I wanted to, my, my immediate response was like, through drama, through through people literally just reading a play, reenacting a moment, there can be these little invitations to have deeper conversations. And so I dropped them on Juneteenth because there's a, two plays that are kind of sort of related to Juneteenth that provide opportunities for families to talk about, well, here's the history of Juneteenth. This is what happened with Juneteenth. And then immediately be able to talk about now, right? So by talking about them, we can talk about now. And then there's other shows that play, play in the series called Water Gun Song, which is a child and and their parent talking about water guns and the use of guns in the house and what and the politics of that, which sort of alludes to Tamir Rice, you know. And then uh, there's a piece called Hashtag Matter, which is, you know, two old friends reuniting as young adults and kind of unpacking the fact that they came up in the same city in the same time and all that, but they still experienced the world different. And then there's another play called Black Flag, which is about two freshmen who have been communicating all summer as, as they go in their freshman year. And then as they're unpacking, as they're unpacking, uh, one student pulls out a Confederate flag, you know, more in sort of like a pop culture, kid rock kind of way, like not thinking anything of it. And then her roommate, who is black and not from the South, is like fixated on it and trying to has to make some decisions about, I got to be with this person for a whole school year. Do I address this or not? Do I get labeled as the angry black girl or, you know, all of this? And so, you know, it's these four shows really providing platforms and opportunities. And and I put them out intentionally on this website, on TYUSA's website, and was like, anybody can download them. They're for you if you want to produce them and do them on Zoom, if you want to do them in the church basement, socially distanced, of course, whatever you want. And from that, over the past six or seven months, just a, like a diversity of different types of communities and people have, have downloaded the plays and presented them, children's theaters, but also like the educational wing of Kaiser Permanente did an event, schools, you know, all of that. And so it was a really powerful and profound and eye-opening experience for me as an artist and really like is pushing me even more on this movement of open source plays that specifically relate to what's happening in society in the zeitgeist and and just completely removing making making the quote unquote means of production scalable to whoever meaning if you're a huge theater you can do it and dress it up if you're a small up and coming group if you're a group out of a college or whatever you can also do it you know and and so being intentional about it in, in that way so that's the that's the first thing that comes to mind because that's like literally what's happening as we speak 
It's beautiful. I think that what I'm seeing throughout not only this podcast, but particularly this movement and this this the iteration of this movement specifically, is that there is such a great infusion. I remember when they started doing food fusions, right? So mm-hmm. one of the great ones here is called Marination Station, right? In mm-hmm. Seattle. And mm-hmm. it's a food truck, but it was like, you know, they were infusing like traditional like Hawaiian type stuff with like American stuff. So you you had this like, oh, spam with, you know, something else. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, wait, you know, is that like, we don't do spam, but it's like, that's what they're eating. So they were utilizing it. And I, uh, I remember like, my initial thought was like Seattle is going crazy with these fusions, you know, we're, we're, we're having fusion all over the place. But really the best thing about fusion, what I'm seeing in this movement is that it is doing just that by utilizing something like arts and being able to showcase this movement and this moment, particularly with regard to like theater, what you just described with open source is beautiful. We're seeing a large swell of artists, activists, I think artivists, absolutely. Because when we talk about those who have been painting the Black Lives Matter murals in different cities, uh, we have one right here in Seattle, right in Capitol Hill. And it's like that was a great way that they were like, look, yeah, we're putting our emotions, our feelings of this time right here on the canvas, right here on the street. Or, you know, we're, we're taking up space. We're definitely creating murals on the sides of buildings. We're sharing our art by utilizing messaging as well. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, because this is such a different time for so many of us. And as a black person in this country, you know, and you just said you have children, your children are, you know, lifting you up and keeping you, you know, vibrant, right? What is it in terms of a father, a black father in this country? How do you really foresee a lot of this, this movement right now shaping and changing things for your children's future? That's a great question. You know, I've, I've been doing a lot of like virtual keynotes and stuff lately. And, and I have this little anecdote, this little bit about there's this rapper named Logic. I don't know if y'all know Logic. He's a MC out of Maryland and, you know, really had a really, you know, just doing pretty, pretty well known, had a growing following and had hits and all this kind of stuff. And um, he recently retired because he was like, yeah, you know, I'm married and I got a kid now and I want to have a quote unquote normal life. And I was really ruminated on that. One was just like, you know, an, a creative life to me is normal. And then the second thing I thought about was like, I, I'm like, I know he's going to very soon realize that he needs to use all of his gifts to try to make the world a better, safer place for his son, that his role as a father is to not stop the thing that he did that, that is more than just made him a living, but really, well, no, no, I use that. To, I, when I say make make a living, I mean it more literally, not metaphorically. When we say make a living, they mean make money. I say make a living, meaning quite literally, this is what you're making of your life. And so, so that's how I think of it, is that I think of like, to me, it's important for to model being a citizen artist for my kid. It's just like, this is something I'm passionate about. This is something I'm disciplined in. And this is also my contribution to try to make the world better for you and that there is a responsibility as a human being. And so for me, you know, and, and not shying away from those questions. So when he asks about the protests, when he asks about Black Lives Matter, you know, I try to answer him best I can and and leave it at that and just always be available for those kinds of, of, of conversations. But there is also a sense of urgency too, that, that a sense of urgency is a purpose around, I have to do something, you know, saying like, not just for my own children, for other people's children, but like, but that's the job. It's like young people and old people. Like those of us in the middle of that, 
That's our job is to protect them, is to protect vulnerable people. That's why we got to protect trans people. That's why men got to protect women. That's why, you know, like we, you got to protect the vulnerable, any powers that you have, you know what I'm saying? And so, and and again, that's something I want to model for them, you know, in addition to all these other things. Listen, by the way, I'm not saying that I'm good at all this stuff or that I figured it out. I'm saying that this is what I aspire to, right? Yeah, I fail. I fail many days, but uh, I aspire to it. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many of us. It's about the resilience in the attempts to get it right, right? And and how you're just staying focused on that and allowing that to be kind of your guiding factor for how you absorb all of these things. And I think, you know, so much of this work, you know, you were saying this earlier, and I think you're, you're just so right. That, you know, as a nation, the education piece, I think, Mm -hmm. is so critical to so Mm -hmm. much of this. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, in in that regard, we have to be able to share these stories in a multitude of ways because the education that comes from it, the learning that comes from that storytelling and that narrative building is the important part, right? It's not just storytelling for storytelling's sake or for just for entertainment. And I think that that is why, for me, I get really excited about this podcast right here. Here, like the products that we're creating at King County Equity now, they have to really move the needle forward with regard to how the nation is understanding a lot of these concepts. How do you wear that kind of, you know, responsibility on your shoulders? <laughs> yeah, well, I, for real quick, I just want to respond to what you're saying about storytelling because I just engaged with there's this brilliant man out of Washington, D.C. His name is David Hunt. And he's uh, he's he's all about like the ways in which we can unlock the power of storytelling to make our organizations stronger and personally and also organizationally. So I brought him to talk to my whole staff the other day. And the thing he kept saying is that we're all like human beings are storytellers, period. Like some of us decide to take it on as a quote unquote craft or become quote unquote masters of it. But we all do it in some way. And to me, if that's who we are fundamentally, that means education is that. Like, you know, it's that's how we learn. I mean, we learn through sight, you know. So I was reading, I was writing this play about textbooks, about the textbook industry, and uh, I did a lot of research. And one of the things that I started kind of getting into was can an AI, is an AI ever going to replicate the traditional instructor? And I happened upon this, uh, this thing called the mirror... Something, something involving the word mirroring, but basically the idea is that students learn through watching an adult master knowledge. So the mirror effect, yeah, exactly. So it's it's not just what the person's saying, it's that I'm watching another human master having with knowledge. Like, and 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 so that's also how I'm learning to be just quote unquote knowledgeable, right? And so, you know, for me, I just wanted to, you just reminded me of this conversation I just had, you know, on Monday or Tuesday about how that's just we we all do. We're all storytellers, you know, and and which means that we have to all recognize and really center story listening also as a very intentional act as well. Like we're doing with each other right now. We're just swapping stories. Um but uh, but to your other, your your latter question about how do I shoulder that? Could you kind of 
Digging, I'm not sure I understand the question exactly. I want to answer correctly. Yeah, so for me, right, in my role as an organizer, as a media producer, and really, uh, again, a steward of kind of the community and really educating through community stories, I find that it's very important for me to always be thinking about or have at the center of my creative process that my end product needs to be educating my community, right? That this educational aspect of the products we're creating. I mean, I just think about that Say say My Name video, right? Where it's like, yeah, it's spoken word. It's fun. And you're doing it in a way, but you're also educating people on, you know, hey, how important names are. And this idea that even, oh my gosh, what you said about your, you know, previous employer, you know, just changing your name completely, right? To Eddie. It's like, I mean, honestly, what? The nerve, you know? So, so that's <laughs> That's what I'm kind of saying is that so much now uh, of in our creative products, we also need to be toting that line because our communities, our nation, you know, people here, a lot of them, unfortunately, are just ignorant. The facts haven't been given to them. The education, you know, especially with public education, it has failed a lot of Americans. So, so wow. now I feel that in every product I'm creating, this right here is a fun conversation I'm having with you. But if it's not educating somebody else on the importance of, you know, infusing equity into all of these facets of the work we do. What am I doing here? Right. So I always put that at the, it's like something I carry with me every time I'm creating content. And I just wondered about that for you as a, another content creator, somebody that's utilizing a creative space to kind of share your talent. You just named five plays that are kind of doing it right. But so it's clear that you already have this idea in how you, you know, produce things, you know, but Yeah. yeah, the educational oh, yes. piece of no, it. I get you. Wow. So many thoughts as you were talking. One, one is that, you know, this really is what education looks like. I mean, the problem with a lot of these institutions, right, you know, <laughs> you know, from education to policing, all of it is they're so out of date. They're just out of date. You know, it's like our apps on our phones get updated constantly. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Right. They're just like, don't don't worry about it. We're just going to do it. It's good for you. Right. And so it's outpacing you know, there's so many other things that are up, like, especially now we're in the quote unquote information age. Right. And so the devices we have, that's what they deliver. They deliver us information at lightning speed and it's constantly updating itself to say, how do I get and transfer information in the most efficient way constantly? Meanwhile, we still are cramming 25 people in the class, still got textbooks, still got, you know, it hasn't. What, what's the 2.0, 2.5? You know, you know, if we get new iPhones and new Androids every year. Where's the new version of, of public education? Where's the new version of that? And so, you know, things like podcasting, things like, you know, even games. I mean, people front on games. It's like, yo, no, make your kids should be playing games. OK, like, you know what I mean? Like. And so for me, it's just sort of embracing just all the modes for communication. Because to me, it's like inherently folks are going to learn something from what they hear or what they watch. So I think it's us being mindful of what is it that we're exhibiting or discussing, right? So I think that's where we get into, you know, when people talk about the quote unquote power of the media or, you know, this, that, and the third, it's like, that's really what they're talking about. They're talking about the use of fear tactics versus the use of uh, whatever the opposite of fear tactics are, right? Courage tactics, bravery tactics. I mean, I don't know. So, you know, and, 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 but there is this animal instinctual part of our brains that is hardwired for fear, which is just, you know, because we're 
you know, we're, we're animals and, and we're very soft and vulnerable and our bones break and we get cold. And so we're, we're wired to be very leery and fearful. And so then that means that we got to go harder with positivity. You know, this is, this is why we got to go harder with things that are the counter to that. And so that's, that's really what I think about. It's just the energy and the conversation. It's the conversation I'm trying to foment and elicit. You know, I started this thing on my birthday called 52 by 10, which is every week. I just do it on my Instagram. And every week I just pick a different organization, you know, whether it's arts, health, education, whatever. And I just give them 10 bucks. And really the point of it is just to kind of like familiarize myself, but also familiarize others with organizations or even make them look for the ones in their own backyard, right? So I always make sure I, you know, I look at people in my state, people in my city, but also nationally too. And I've been doing that since September. So I'm, I think I'm about 11, 11 episodes in now, you know, but that's just my little way also to just be like, this is a conversation that I'm interested in. It's like, who's doing the work? Like we we spend so much time obsessing about presidents and Congress people and all that. And it's like, fam, who's your council person? What are the districts in your city that are, you know what I'm saying, that are, you know, what what is your local politics is local, right? And you can do stuff. People be acting all paralyzed, like, oh, they didn't pass this bill or this. It's like, that's important too. But yo, like my son, my son was watching uh, my wife fill out her mail-in ballot. And he was very curious about this because he's curious about everything. And, you know, the fr- I was showing him like the front part of this is like, these are the headliners. This is like the president, da, da, da. but I flipped it over. And I'm like, all this stuff here on the back with smaller font that's crammed up. I'm like, this is the stuff that actually affects you tomorrow. This is about your school. This is about where, whether or not you have a park. This is about like, you know, if there's, if there, where the tax money goes, does it go to your park? Does it go to your books? Or is it going to go to, you know, whatever. So it's about pollution, you know? So, you know, for me, I think I've gotten really far away from your question, but I'm just thinking it's just, just themes in the air. It's like, you know, but that, but that's what I, what I'm really ultra conscious of is like, what energy do I want to put on the world? What kind of conversation am I trying to to stimulate or foster or contribute to? And also like what what people and what energy am I trying to draw to me as well? That's why it's so great that we're having this conversation too and that I'm getting to know you as well. Because again, it's like, you know, you're the type of person and you're fomenting the type of conversation that I want to also be involved in. And so like, we should know each other. Right. And so that's the thing too, is that I'm actively trying to also find the others who are also having this conversation, you know, so that we can just widen that, widen that circle. And we're in this amazing time. We're like, you know, back in the day, I would have to be like in Seattle for a couple of days and we have to coordinate and let me see if I can come to the studio. And, and this is like, we found a, a, a time that worked for us both through a, a digital platform, through a digital app. We're talking to each other through a, a di- you know, digital software you know, and that's just that's just the moment we're in. And, and and I think we're both, you know, just using it for for that purpose to have a conversation about about equity, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly when I told the team uh, as we were structuring this podcast, I said the biggest thing to me that I want to be doing is making connections and building friendships and building relationships with folks that are equity change makers across the world. Like mm. ultimately, there's yeah. a lot of us. There's yeah. a lot of amazing movements happening 
a lot of positive energy happening. And it really is showcasing what grassroots level can really do. Mm. And, you know, here, this is why we, you know, at King County Equity Now, we already had these relationships, right? So bringing folks in from that relational perspective was like, all right, boom, we are, that relationships are there, like, boom, we're going to bring everybody in. And everybody was like, yeah, because we already know each other. It was easier to even form an ecosystem based on, you know, organizations doing the work because those relationships were there. And now it's time for the chime in. In this segment, we bring in voices from our community to see what they have to say. My name is Alex Lee Reed. I'm a Seattle-based writer, director, sometimes actor, teacher, mentor, and storyteller. I'm currently the Associate Director of Arts Engagement at Seattle Rep. Uh, My focus is in youth and learning. I'm from Flint, Michigan, which is a predominantly Black city, and I worked for a long time before I moved out to Seattle at a youth theater in the heart of Flint. And I noticed after a while that the majority of students enrolled in our programs were not students from the city of Flint. And that was, I think, the moment in my career where I started to interrogate why that is. What systems are preventing black and brown kids, particularly from the city, in participating in this institution that is supposed to be meant for them? And I guess kind of since then, I have shifted or maybe the better term is clarified, my own priorities as an educator and as a mentor and as a leader to actively create spaces that prioritize Black kids and queer kids and kids who have been given the impression that their voices are not as important or are not as valued or that they have any less right to be in any given room or space than anyone else. I am currently leading a program and we just had our first series of workshops. Just the looks on these kids' faces and the things that they were willing to share with us. You could see, even (laughs) via Zoom, this kind of weight lifted from them when they realized, okay, I can show up and be me and talk about my life and my culture and my ancestors and the things that bring me joy. And that is so so important. And now back to the show. And you just said something too that I think is so crucial and key because as we talk about utilizing these platforms, utilizing this moment to really educate the nation, I I find that I'm so, I think, inspired by 
all of the work that really happens, particularly in communities. And there's almost, you, you get no purer than that because when you start going up the level, right? I think of someone like Barack Obama who started as like a community organizer yeah. on the ground, in the streets, you know what I'm saying? And then to now and just recently him saying, you know, well, you know, this defunding the police <laughs> is like counterproductive or whatever. It's just like, that, that's not, that's nonsense almost. And I'm like, well, but can I can I actually say that? And I might get in trouble here, but um, first first off, you know, I, I distinctly I remember when they were trying to clown him. The other side was trying to clown him for saying he was just a community organizer, and I'm like, what's wrong with community organizer? Martin Luther King Jr. was a community organizer. Like, what are, what are you talking about? Like, all our he, Jesus was a community organizer. You know what I'm saying? Like, why is that whack? Like, they're like, Ugh, like you know, we see, we we seen what happened when we had the fake billionaire, right? Um, I actually am on the side of, I also think the word defund is not the right verb choice because here's why. And I think his point, listen, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a negotiator type. He's a, he's a middle ground centrist type. He's about what's going to be effective. He's a strategy guy. So he, I think that quote is like, that's him talking about strategy. He's like, that's not a strategic move. Like, in order to, to he's, he's saying he doesn't think that that's the best strategic move is that slogan, because the problem with slogans is they start to lose their, they, you know, get the gap takes, you know, defund lint, you know, or whatever, right? And, and so, but, but me, myself, I think about a lot too, because I have to, I have two thoughts on this and we can debate it, you know, respectfully, respectfully. Yeah. Respectfully. Cause well, first thing is this, being a police officer is a is a blue collar service job. It's like being a fireman or a nurse or a, and so everyone's their uncles, their cousins, their aunties. They, you know, it's a job a lot of people have. So when you say that, immediately some folks are going to immediately get defensive because they're like, "Why are you trying to come for my job?" Again, it's not what they mean. Like, there's a level to defund the police. There's a level. To, there's levels to it. But I think again, people just hear the slogan, and so that's like saying defund nurses because like some of them, you know. You know, and there's a racist legacy for everything, for teachers, for all, for all of it, right? And so, and so, it, it's it's too it's it's um there's too many levels to it. I think for the average person, you know, and and so that's one. And then I think the second piece is, I don't know, like for me, I I just like I just tweeted this the other day, so it must be worth talking about. Is I said we need to actually what we need to defund is racism. Because that's what this problem is. It's, it, it, it's not about money. Because the guys who murdered Ahmad Arbery. You know, they were not being funded by anyone, you know, but, you know, the, the people who murdered Emmett Till, we could go on and on and on. Right. This is not a monet. Like, I understand the idea is like we ain't going to fund y'all because you're, you're state agent murderers. I get that idea. It's about, about accountability. But I just think what we're really talking about is something is, is more about emotions and perspective. You know, it's like it's more about reform. It's about retraining. It's about rethinking. It's about remixing. I just think they're more effective verbs personally. Like, I get it. Like when people say defund the police, like I get it. But again, if you're like the average person and all your brothers are cops and they're good guys and you hear defund the police, you immediately are going to say, what? Why? You know what right, I mean? right, 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 right. So, or, or yeah, like you said, that defensive nature. I think when when I hear this, right, there's a multitude of things that happen for me because again, I always think, okay, if anybody, any, I think influencer, celebrity, anybody who has a large following, audience, whatever, right. At the end of the day, 
you, you know, a lot of that is based on like your personality, the things you say, like the things that come from from you as a person and not necessarily your position. Obviously, somebody like uh, Barack Obama, he's known because he was the first black president in the United States. Right. So clearly he has already this position in people's mind. Oh, he'll always be the first black president in the United States, no matter what. He's cemented in that. And he's the only one that will ever have that title. Right. So for me, I think it's about how do you how do you utilize that platform right now? What we're hearing in the streets, we just talked about this today. So this may be really dated by the time our episode airs, but it's all good because I think it's really important that when you have that type of reach, I I don't mind kind of the centrist mentality, but I do think that to dismiss something as like, oh, that's not the way that to go about that. Like, uh, it sounded to me like an old fart who was like, hey, you young folk can't be dating that fucking deep You know, like, that's what I heard. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know, but like, that's what, that's all I heard, unfortunately. And yeah. I think that that's, that actually is what happens with a lot of younger people. And, and when we talk about the trust of politicians, of elected officials, of getting young folks engaged in civic engagement and being that kind of stakeholder in their town, in their city, in their state, where they understand, oh man, this is, you know, here's my councilman, here's my that my, my laws that are going to be local, like here's all of these things that are going to affect me and my lived experience personally, I'm giving to them or I'm going to understand them wholeheartedly so that I can vote accordingly. I think that's what we're talking about when we hear, when young folks hear something like that, they're like, man, they don't get it anyway. You know, like they ain't going to never get it. So I think that one of the things that I love about being able to utilize that platform well is to say, yeah, like, look, that may be the language that has bubbled up to the surface, but this is what it means. Because again, going back to what I was just talking about, I think right now, every moment is is a teachable moment. Every moment has the ability to do this kind of across the aisle type stuff. I hate that word across the aisle, but we know what that means. But at least when at least when I say it, you know exactly what exactly. I'm saying, right? No, but it's like this this collective nature of how do we utilize our education and our statements to bring people together rather than to you know further create these wedges. And I think he could have said, no, look. I mean, I like the word defund, but this is like five things that they mean by that. And this is a way that we as a nation can begin to get educated on what that means. That would have been a lot better. But because that's not in Joe Biden's plan, right, he doesn't want to defund. So then it's like, again, it goes down to some political strategy stuff that— Unfortunately, in the black communities, we haven't seen the rises. We haven't seen that equity really begin to flip things on its head where we're starting to see black home ownership grow, black education, black wealth, where we're really starting to see those gains. So for me, that's where a lot of this comes from. And I think a lot of it, too, is about folks like you and myself. I I mean, just be honest, it really is. It's about kind of us collectivizing nationally and us being able to say, well, hey, look, I know that there's a brother in college. Colorado, who's doing some phenomenal work with regard to artivism, you know what I'm saying? And if you're tra- if you're an artist, if you're trying to get plugged in, at least that's one contact I have out there, right? And, and this podcast is helping me do that. And so I-, I agree with you with regard to some of the language, but I think also, too, every moment is teachable. And how do we, as, as change makers, as artivists, as activists, as organizers, as those who are doing this, a lot of this grassroots on the ground, even the everyday marchers, the ones that are out there protesting every Every day, the ones that are, you know, going to every rally to educate themselves and and this new group that I call the Awakeners, which is like, you know, 
a, a lot of white folks who were like, look, I didn't realize this, but I do now and I'm not with it. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, like it, there's a wide spectrum, I think, of so many people who are ready for change. And how do we as a nation begin to recognize that? I think, yeah, and that's that's very well said. And I, I mean, one, I, I want to go back and see the full the fullness because I think, you know, obviously they probably picked that one line because the line was something like you lose people when you use words like defund the police. And I'm like, yeah, this is someone who's been reared in running elections, right? So they're all, they're wired to be like, oh, I can't lose anyone. I can't lose the crowd. And to your point, and I, and I want to read the full quote because I'm sure he was probably like, but I, you know, he probably had some other stuff to say. And you're right. And I think, yeah, where was his man's? He, you know what he needs? He needs like, where's his man's? It was just like, yeah, but, you know, but that's what the streets are saying. And that's the thing about it is like, you have to honor what the streets are saying. Because it doesn't also mean that that these folks who are saying deep the police are ludicrous or that there's no psychology behind it. Because that's what they try to do with the Green New Deal, too. They try to make it sound like it's ludicrous. And it's like, it's no more ludicrous than coal and fossil fuel and poisoning the planet and all this ridiculousness that y'all just want to like stick your head in the sand about, right? You telling me that's not ludicrous? That's not ridiculous? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I do think to your point too, it is about, you know, it is about those of us in between the sort of Obamas and Bidens of the world and, you know, the quote unquote average person, right? There are these advocates, translators, champions in our cities that are a lot closer to you, you know? And so again, it's like, we don't need to always just look for these people, these superheroes or whatever in, you know, in DC and in these places we can't get to when you've got people in your own communities who are really straight up fighting for you every day, you know? Yeah. I love that so much. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that this is why uh, another reason why we do this, because it's about uplifting those people globally. And it's also really inspiring because you realize, hey, I'm not alone. You know what I mean? There's amazing people doing this work and it's so awesome to me. And so I want to ask you, too, about a bit of your travels, because I know for me, you know, traveling has really helped cement a lot of my ideology around this work. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent some time in Europe. I spent Mm -hmm. time in Kenya. And -hmm. that was very purposeful, right? Like, let me just see some, some, you know, different facets of the world so I can have a more global perspective. So I just want to ask you, how have your travels really helped infuse how you approach some of your work? Where where in Kenya were you? In Mombasa. Okay. Yeah. I've been, I I spent like a week or so in in Nairobi a couple of years, many years ago, and it was very, very transformative. Yeah. I think (laughs) about it all the time. Um, Actually, way more vibrant than people would ever think, too, right? Because, I mean, so many people and so many things going on in Nairobi. (laughs) It's also just, I just remember the feeling of just seeing Black people so, like, so much. Not like, oh, like, I went to Atlanta or like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but like, just really like this is a Black-run place, you know, And, and that. And just how powerful that was for me, just as an as a quote unquote African American descendant of stolen Africans. So you know, so one of the things that has been really difficult uh, in this nine ten months of of uh, the pandemic life is is it's really had me reflecting on how integral traveling had become in my life, mostly national. You know, I've I've, I've traveled all the country. You know, sometimes I've been to Oman, Jordan a bunch of times. I've been to, um, you know, some of the islands. I've been to Canada. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, but uh, but mostly very national, you know, especially with my my playwriting work and, and some of my speaking work, and you know, a lot of DC, a lot of New York, a lot of Boston and and Chicago, a ton, and uh, Seattle, a bunch. I was coming there working with uh, Seattle Children's Theater, and yeah, I mean, I really miss it because it it's it made me it's making me realize like not just was it my career. And, and also not just my career, but like building my network and friend and friend base. I mean, some of these folks that I've worked with have become like my friends, you know, but it really feeds something very core to me as a as a as a carbon based life form, which is just the need to be around different vibration, different energy, my curiosity to see best practices, you know, culture. You know, I'm a culture fiend. Like I, I love different languages and accents and histories and cuisine and music and 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 I love his I'm a huge history nerd and so all that stuff. So yeah, no traveling to me is is probably the thing I can't wait to get back to the soonest. Um you know, I was doing it a little too much. I was it was starting to really wear my body down, but I do definitely miss. I found myself the other day like I'm like I miss the airport. I was like and 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 not even just that I miss but it was like I miss the moment. I miss the moment where I arrive in a new city and I'm working my way through the airport. And I like get my cab and I like, I'm looking out the window and I'm like, so this is Pittsburgh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just, and just thinking about like, okay, I got this at this time and I'm going to eat here. And you know, that kind of, I was like, it was a random moment of missing just that part of it. Not even this particular city, you know? So yeah, no, it's, it's, it's pretty key and core. Yeah, I think you're so right. And because I think when we talk about being kind of a, a creator of any sort, really having exposure to different people, different scenes, different environments is so helpful. I know for me, it really is. And I agree with you that it's important for me when I travel that I embed myself in the culture, whatever that is, wherever I am, right? Where mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm back to DC. I'm going straight to, you know, I'm going to Ben's Chili Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to, you know, like, I want all the things and like, where are you eating? Like, no, I don't want the fancy. Don't I want to go to the food truck that, that got the line around the corner? You know, what I mean? like that is always my thing because I think so many things. I've, I've talked about this too, and, th- and this is something I don't like. Where there was this homogenization of the nation, right? Yeah. And then I start going everywhere, and I'm like, oh my god, that looks like Seattle. This strip mall is just like. I mean, if you give me an Olive Garden and a <laughs> whatever, and you got it all right there in the same, I'm like, oh man, you know. I mean, that yeah, is time, just Times the same. York, Times Square in New York City is a perfect example of like it's over. Like regionalism is 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 under fire, you know, because like if you've got like the quote unquote center of the nation, you know, this, that's supposed to represent this cosmopolitan light, and it's just huge billboards and Red Lobsters and H and M's and M and M store. Like you're, it's over. Like the New York, <laughs> you know, there's still some spots in some of the boroughs, you know, Queens and other, but. You know, like that, like what they did to Times Square, I think was the beginning of like, okay, we're in a different, we're in a different America. But I think regionalism is is coming back for sure. You know, you have, you know, you have these cities like Portland and cities like Austin. And, and you know, to be honest, I mean, I'll say it like, you know, part of one of my goals, because I lived in Colorado Springs for six years and then I left and lived in Louisville for two. And then I recently moved back to Colorado Springs and I said, okay, if I'm going to come back, I'm coming back to really affect some change. Before I was like, I'm just a guy who needs a job and I'm just here. Right. Now I'm like, no, I'm I'm gonna live here and I'm gonna really make my mark on it. I'm gonna put my stank on it, so to speak. And you know, my goal is to kind of move it towards kind of an Austin. I want I want to really build the arts 
you know, the arts vibe here and really and really start using the arts to bring people out and gather their stories and really engage with them and be like, what what are you into? Like, you know what I mean? Because it's it's a very functional city. You know, it's very, it's just functional. It's like, well, we need this and we need, that, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of, you know, hiking and outdoor, that kind of stuff. But like, but I know there's an arts scene here and there's artists here and there's creatives here. And I know, and everyone loves art because everyone, art is about them. So my goal is to really start to define it more and start to really just be in constant conversation and kind of build a demand and a hunger, you know, for the arts here and get, and get known, you know, Denver, Denver, you know, in the, in the past many years, this has really become a much more of a real market um, for, for the arts gotten much more serious about it. And I think we can do, we can do the same because, uh, yeah, this is where I live, man. So if I live here, it's got to be popping a little bit more. That's like, right. Yeah. I know. That's right, Idris. Hey, and you let me know whenever you need me to come on down, man. I would do some collaborative projects, baby. You Let's already go. know. Let's It'll go. be on and popping. Before I let you go, the last one of the last things I really want to ask you uh, before we wrap up here, thank you so much for your time. Really, I want to check in because you just kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit here when you were talking about traveling and missing yeah. traveling so yeah. much. I just want to ask uh, so many of us making adjustments for covid what has the COVID world been like for you? How have you adjusted and continue to do all of your work? Oh, boy. I'll tell you this. So I have like kind of six core principles that define me that are sort of at my core, you know, and those carry me through any kind of condition, any kind of change in the country, any, you know, whatever. It's like I always go back to these six core things. And again, I'm just super grateful that this is happening in this moment. Like I'm a Reagan baby. Like I'm a, I was born in the late seventies. I'm like, I can't imagine if this would have happened in the rotary phone era. Like, I don't know what we would have done. Seriously. Like it would have been very, very different. Like you think it's hard to get people to stay home and wear masks now. Like a lot of us would have had to have just, you know, so it, it, it's been challenging in other ways, but in terms of my work, like I've still been, I've still been writing, you know I mean? Like content creation is, you know, I think weathers all storms. It's like the ability to make, the ability to create, the ability to tell stories and try to engage people is timeless, you know? And it, so if, in a way, it's been really a great reminder of that. And I'm leaning and living in that with much more purpose, you know? Yeah. How yeah, about you? Absolutely. You, you know what? Thanks for asking. I mean, honestly, the biggest adjustment has been, I think that the organizing needed to be front. It was like essential organizing and getting people educated. And so I'm always, anytime anybody asks me that, I'm like, man, I'm balancing motherhood, right? Because my, because then it's like, man, how do I, do I get home too late to cook a dinner? My kids are with my parents until I can get there or their dad comes and gets, it's just such a, just trying to balance the basic motherhood around this is where I find challenges, mm -hmm. honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, I have a 14 year old. Oh, he'll be 15 on Saturday. Wow. It's coming up so quickly. But uh, yeah, but a 14 year old and a six year old, right? And both of their birthdays and my birthday is all this month in, in the month of December. Wow. So, Holy yeah, so, Yeah. <laughs> So for me, December is always a busy month, right? And uh, I think about them and I think about uh, just making sure that they feel the love because I, I never want to, oh man, you just took me here. I just recently heard a song. It was a song. And it was, uh, I watched the video of, this song is old, but basically it was like, 
saying to his mother in the song, like, I appreciated that you were this phenomenal worker. However, I just wanted you to be with me. I just wanted you. And I can't even remember the name of the song right now. But this song, I just heard it this week. And I was like, oh, man, that's striking me at the core. Because, you know, again, this is like a revolution, right? We're like, I'm like, I tell my kids daily, sons, we're in the middle of a revolution. You know what I'm saying? So mommy has to be on the front lines. And like, I I may have to get you guys ready to be on the front lines one day. Who knows what this is going to look like? And I want to prepare you for that, right? But at the end of the day, I also want them to understand the importance of this moment, this pivotal moment we're in. Because I, I agree with you that if we don't continue to press for okay, fine. Don't call it defund. Talk about reinvesting in community. But at the end of the day, we need a a systemic shift that really is going to change a lot of things and really bring about equity for all people. And it really does start with black equity because we know in this country, when black people do better, everybody else does better. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. So, you know, that's that's why. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. So that's really why, you know, and, and where I find myself trying to educate my kids on on a lot of that because the motherhood with COVID is, you know, it just made everything kind of elevate in my world. Right. And then it was like, I'm not, I I don't get to stay at home and do this, this work. I got to organize protests. I got to be out here Mm. educating community. Mm. I got to be educating our stakeholders on Mm. why we take this approach. Right. So all of it to me is really important. Mm. So thank you for asking me that, you know, I'd like to bond with you on that (laughs) because it's hitting us all so differently, but yet at the same time, it's making us all do something different, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's 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 the unifying nature of COVID. Uh, before I let you go, though, is there anything I did not touch on, we did not touch on, that you got to make sure our audience hears from you, Mr. Idris? <laughs> <laughs> well, a uh, couple, all right, couple, a couple of shameless plugs. I mean, so one is, you know, again, I'm at the um, Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center at Colorado College, and you know, we're we're really about. You know, so one of the things that drew me to it is that it's multidisciplinary, that it's it's visual art, it's performing arts, and it's also like arts education. And we're a, a part of a college, but we're also very public facing. And, you know, to me, I took the job because it, it's really built on a lot of the values that I have around innovation, around access, around conversation, around diversity, all of that for real. And and so when COVID hit, you know, we we created this digital platform called FAC Connect, and um, we're trying to tell the story of our region, like the, the Southwest, the American Southwest is so rich and interesting and unique, but it's also in a lot of ways a microcosm of the whole country. And so, you know, I just want to encourage any of your listeners to to check us out, uh, fac.coloradocollege.edu. There's a lot of cool art content on there. We have an e-museum and we're, we're very intentionally trying to like use our website and our platforms to still do our work and, and kind of begin to change the, our ideas about you know, what art centers can provide, right? The second shameless plug is, uh, you know, if you enjoyed the Say My Name piece, uh, check out the book that it comes from, uh, which is called Can I Kick It?, which is a book uh, that was published last year on Haymarket Books as part of the Breakbeat Poets series. And uh, yeah, that's it. And it's been a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure, pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. And just thank you for having this platform. It's really dope. Oh, thank you, man. This is really what it's about. I think making these kind of connections. So now, you know, you got a sister up in Seattle. I know mm-hmm. I got a bro down in Colorado and it's going to be on. And, and honestly, I probably will be seeing you maybe even sometime in 2021. My brother lives out there in Denver. Um, so, oh, I, yeah. So, I mean, I got actual blood connections out there and he was just up here uh, recently and he said, look, you come down. I got a room for you, everything, sis. So if I make that trek, you all 
I'll be here. You'll be hearing from me for sure. Come see about <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> thank you yeah. so much again, Idris. This was fabulous. Oh, I'm just, I'm you. elated. So thank you so right, much. Thank you. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to Equity Rising. Our next episode will be out next week. Subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they come out. And if you don't follow us on social media yet, you can find us on Facebook at King County Equity Now Coalition, Instagram at King County Equity Now, and Twitter at KC Equity Now. Contact us if you want to get involved or continue the conversation. Thanks for listening.